once again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we just sang, I pray that uh, the ancient words that we are about to look at, almost 2,000 years old, that they would stir our hearts with hope in Christ and in the resurrection that we're about to talk about. Thank you for your love and care for us. I pray that you would be with my mouth. May it be clear. And help our ears to stay in tune with what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Almost to the end of this great letter, but 1 Corinthians 15 is jam-packed with um, awesome gospel truths, and so we will be in it for a few more weeks. I don't want to rush through it. I really want to milk it for all it's worth, because it is a very, very important text for our faith. So I'll start off with this question, right? What happens when a human dies? What happens when a human dies? That's a question that has been wrestled with for thousands and thousands of years in every culture, in all religions, and even in non-religious, secular thinking. When people die, what happens? For the non-religious person, um, most of them anyway, what happens is simply that this powerful computer that's sitting on top of my body, called my brain, powers off, shuts down, and it's gone forever. Consciousness is generated by the brain. You, who you are, is generated by this computer on your head. You are nothing more than a brain on legs. And when the computer gets unplugged, that's it. This view is certainly a lot more popular in the last hundred years than it's ever been. However, the vast majority of humans on the globe think that there is something more that happens. We ache for something more. Which is a good indication that maybe there is something more. And the countless religions of the world, for the most part, have a theory or theories of what happens. The human spirit, some think, freed from the body, continues on in some sort of conscious state, even as the body dies. And over the millennia, over history, this conscious state has been thought about and talked about in many different ways. For some, humans go off to join the gods in the heavenly realms, the spirit realms, where the gods are. For others, humans become gods themselves. In more animistic cultures, like in Sub-Saharan Africa and in the tribes of Papua New Guinea, the humans that die are thought to join the nebulous 
spirit world of good and evil spirits. Now, I would venture to guess that your average citizen of Granville or Whitehall believes in some sort of spiritual existence after death. They may call it heaven or just a happy place. If there is a bad place, like a, a hell, um, it's for really awful people, like Hitler. The worst people you can imagine. <coughs> now, when they think about this happy spirit place, usually people are either um, pictured as embodied with some sort of recognizable body, or disembodied, like ghosts floating around. And folks have plenty of thoughts and sentiments about this spirit-like afterlife. For example, they say things like, Grandma's just up there kicking Grandpa's butt around, or making his favorite food, or um, somebody, you know, you see on Facebook, somebody lost their dad that year, and they've had a really hard year, and I've seen this a few times, you know, maybe the person's a deer hunter, right? And they, they shoot a huge buck, and they say, well, Dad was watching out for me, or Dad must have sent that deer my way, okay? You see a lot of sentiments like that. People make this stuff, I mean, where do they come up with this stuff? You know, it's just self-generated ideas about the afterlife. Thousands and thousands of, you talk to a hundred different people, you get a hundred different ideas about what happens in this spirit realm. What you almost never hear the average person talk about, even Christians, is the hope of resurrection and of a new creation in the life after death. That is a distinctly biblical teaching. It's a teaching deeply rooted in the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, and fulfilled in the Messiah of the Hebrew Bible, Jesus, who rose from the grave. And it was this teaching about the resurrection of the human body that some Christians in Corinth were starting to wonder about and call into question. People in the church who had trusted in Jesus had died. They saw them die, they buried them, and so it seems that some of the leaders in Corinth were saying they're in a better place which is true, their spirits had gone to be with Christ, but these teachers were saying that was it. That that was the end of the story for them. They were in the spirit realm with Jesus, a better place, and they were never coming back. Now some of you may remember there was a huge group of Jewish people who thought the same thing. Do you remember the huge group of Jewish leaders that denied the resurrection? What were they called? Anybody? Sadducees. The Sadducees. Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection because they believed their Bibles. The Sadducees were like liberals. They were like the liberal Christians, right? They were the liberal Jews. And they didn't, they didn't believe in the Old Testament prophets. They didn't believe in miracles. They had been hanging out a lot with the Romans and with the Greek thinkers. And they read a lot of 
Philo, and they read a lot of uh, Plato and Aristotle, and they were more into that stuff, and they're like, yeah, this resurrection stuff is a bunch of hooey. But we like the rules, we like the Torah, there's a lot of wisdom there, keeps people in line. So teach the law, but the resurrection stuff, no. That's ridiculous. Dead body, why would you want to come back here to this awful place? Why would you want to come back to this body that's shutting down? Oh, let's go up to the floaty happy place among the gods where it's so much better. Now, some of the Corinthians had bought into that line of thinking. And in this morning's passage, Paul is going to tackle it head on. Christians who are saying God doesn't raise dead bodies. He tackles it. Now, last week, what we saw is that resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus' body, is at the very heart of the good news of the Christian gospel. God raised Jesus. That's of first importance. So calling the resurrection into question, that sounds the death knell for Christianity. No resurrection, no Christianity. Stop. Just throw out your Bible. Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we're going to read now, 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if the dead, in fact, are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we, have our, we are of all people most to be pitied. These verses basically have two if this is true, then this is true statements. If then statements. We use those type of statements all the time. I use them in our house quite often. As an incentive, if you finish your beans or your taco, then you get, what is it in our house, kids? Cheesecake. No, not cheesecake. Ice cream. Ice cream. Every time it's ice cream, right? The great motivator. The great incentive. Not a real bribe, a reward, right? If you don't pay off your credit card, then you will have... <laughs> Does that accumulate quickly if you don't pay off your credit card? Yes, right? If-then statements. We use them all the time. And so Paul has two of them here. And he says them multiple times. Two if-then statements. And they show up in our main, the main idea. I wrote it down in the back of your bulletin there. If God does not raise dead bodies, then Christ's body was not raised. And if Christ's body has not been raised, if that's true, then Christianity is a tragic religion, a terrible mistake. Two ifs. If this is true, then this is true. And if that is true, then this is true. All right. This is a huge deal for Paul. So we're going to dive into point one. If bodies aren't raised, then Christ has not been raised. 
Look at verse 13 and verse 16. Verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And verse 16, if dead people aren't raised, like if dead bodies don't come back alive again, then Christ has not come back again. Okay? It's very simple logic, and it's a really simple point here. I'm not going to belabor it. If, if dead bodies don't get resurrected, if they simply go off into the spirit realm, and whatever they saw floating around was not the body of Jesus, it was a ghost, somehow eating fish with people and, and, and doing things like that. Like, if that's not the case, that bodies come back, they just go off to a better place, good riddance to the earth, then Jesus' body did not rise. And that's a problem for Paul. And so he moves then to his next if-then statement, which is more like a if this is the case, then, and then, and then, and then, and then. There's a lot of implications, and he's going to have five for us, and you put them together in kind of groups of similar ideas. There's about five. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what you see on your handout. If Christ is not raised, then, first, Paul's preaching is a useless lie. Look at verse 14. If Paul, said, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Why? Why is it useless? Well, it's because they preach the gospel, the good news. And an essential part of the Christian gospel that they preach is that Christ has been raised. So how stupid would it be to preach that Christ is raised if he wasn't? And what's more, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and all the apostles and hundreds of early Christians actually claimed to have seen the risen Christ's body, to actually have seen the scars on his hands and on his feet and the gouge on his side where the spear went in. They saw it. They touched it. They preached it. But if Christ was not raised, they are all liars. Liars. See that in verse 15? They've borne false witness about Jesus and lied if Jesus was really not raised. <coughs> Hundreds of people <coughs> preaching and teaching a lie. Preaching this would be useless and worse a lie if Jesus wasn't really raised. Don't listen to me if the dead aren't raised. Because <laughs> if the dead aren't raised, then Jesus isn't raised. And if Jesus isn't raised, I've been lying to you through my teeth. And so has Peter and James and John and you know, dozens of them. The 500 people he mentioned earlier in the chapter who saw Jesus with their eyes. And the Christian's own faith in what Paul preached would also be useless and pointless, futile, if Jesus was not raised bodily. That's the second thing he says. The Corinthians' faith is useless, and then he'll say it's, it's futile. Verse 14, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, 
The word futile here has the idea of, of no use. It's idle, empty, fruitless, pointless, lacking any truth. There's no point to a faith that's based in a lie. It accomplishes nothing. If faith in Jesus is faith in a dead Jesus, that's a futile faith. Why would I trust in a dead guy? Why would I say that a dead guy is my king and I follow him and I worship him? He's a loser. He's a dead guy. Why follow him? It's a futile faith. A dead body can't save you. The dead Jesus is of no good to us. He doesn't fix what's wrong with humanity. And that's what's next. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, he could not have saved sinners from their sins. That's the third tragic thing Paul says would be the case if Christ had not been raised. He says, verse 17, if Christ had not been raised, you are still in your sins. You're still in a state of rebellion against God and of deserving punishment. If Jesus had not risen from the grave, our sin problem would not be resolved. We would be without hope of forgiveness, without a resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus and his bodily ascension into heaven as our fully human representative in the courtroom of heaven what it does is it proves that God the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice for sins on the cross. Jesus wasn't just some poor moral teacher who got on the wrong side of the law. He wasn't just some crazy revolutionary who died for a dream. Some dream gets you crucified. He wasn't just a, a martyr who gave his life for a good cause. Mm, somebody dying on the cross, crying out love for his enemies. Oh, that's so inspiring. No, he knew they were going to kill him. If this is just meant to inspire you, Jesus is an idiot. Why? Why? Why would you do that? To, to inspire people? You get brutally murdered intentionally? That doesn't, there's not really an inherent logic to that. Here's a great moral example of what not to do. Tell the Pharisees that you're God. I am, and you will see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I am the one Daniel 7 talked about, O high priest. And the guy flips out, rips his clothes, and says, kill him. Right? That's not... Jesus was a madman if the resurrection isn't true. But the resurrection did happen. The resurrection was Jesus' justification. It was his vindication. It proves to everyone, whether they believe in it or not, that Jesus was God's man. The Father raised him, proving to the world he was who he said he was. God was for him, not against him. Like, you look at Jesus on the cross, and you're like, man, what did he do? 
he got on the wrong side of the law, and maybe God's angry at him too. No, the resurrection proves Jesus was accomplishing something on the cross. It proves his sacrifice actually did something because the Father accepted it. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. Our own justification, which means our own right standing before God, our ability to be in the right with our sins forgiven in God's sight, even though we are sinful creatures, it's totally dependent on the resurrection of Jesus. No resurrection, no forgiveness. No forgiveness, then no acceptance in God's sight. The next impl implication Paul brings up if Jesus did not truly rise from the grave is that dead Christians are lost forever. Verse 18 then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. I mentioned this earlier, but I guess I didn't. I was thinking about doing this earlier, but euphemisms. Euphemisms for death. Okay? In the ancient Greek Roman culture, the euphemism fall asleep was used to talk about death. A common euphemism today would be so-and-so passed away. They passed away. Instead of saying, Grandma died, you say, Grandma passed. They passed. What does that mean? Well, they, they, even that is inherently hopeful. Right? They moved on in their journey to a different realm of existence. It's like they were on a journey and they're in the next phase. Someone Past. It softens the punch of the word death. In Paul's day, it was common for the phrase, oh, he fell asleep, to be used to soften the punch of the word death. And in some sense, it makes sense. Right? I mean, dead people do look like they fell asleep. But for Christians who hoped in the resurrection, this phrase, he fell asleep, it took on greater meaning. They loved this phrase in the church because it was a phrase supercharged with resurrection hope. If a body falls asleep, you expect it to wake up. And one day, Daniel 12 says that God will wake up all the bodies that sleep in the dust of the earth. Jesus claims to be the one who will do that. He will reconstitute our physical forms and make all things new. I want you to listen to how Paul talks about this in his letter to the Thessalonian church. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Is Paul using that? So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. They're gone. They're not coming back ever. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That is the Christian hope. Sleeping Christians will wake when Christ appears again. But if Jesus was not truly raised, that's a false hope. Dead people's bodies won't be raised. They'll be lost, destroyed, and gone forever. The worms and the bugs that eat you will have the last laugh. 
And so, if this is the case regarding our hope for the forgiveness of our sins and for our future resurrection, Paul says, if, if, if the resurrection is so central to our hope for all of these things, then Christians, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, should be pitied above all people. Verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It is the great glory and honor of the human race to be human. To have human bodies is a great glory and honor. To represent our creator God, the creator of the universe, to be his representatives on earth as humans is a glory and an honor. Death was not the original plan. Death is tragic. Being cut off from the tree of life was a result of rebellion against God. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, death is called the last enemy. It's not our friend. Christians hate death. Death destroys the work of God. And if the hope of Christianity is that after we die, we merely go off as spirits to some ethereal existence in the sky that does nothing to restore the glory and honor of our humanity as embodied humans that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden, if, if the future state doesn't fix that, then... The Christian hope of resurrection makes, I mean, it makes no sense, right? But the resurrection, on the other hand, resurrection restores what Adam lost. It completes the broken story of Genesis. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22, Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Resurrection reverses the curse of death that Adam brought on the globe. Resurrection is the hope for the Christian. Now verse 19, look, look at that verse. Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we ought to be pitied. And I can imagine someone saying, well, Paul, Jesus does give me hope in this life. I, I have a sense of meaning and purpose in this life, living for him in this life. I, I have joy and a moral guidelines to live by, a sense that I'm loved by God. So if there's no resurre re resurrection and I just go off to the spirit realm, I, I'm still pretty well off. I mean, why should I be pitied? You could see maybe a Corinthian asking that. I mean, Paul says, if we only have hope for, in Christ for this life, not for some future resurrection, then we should be pitied. Why is that the case? Well, Paul is assuming that true Christians do not live for the glory of the physical body in this life. We don't live for the pleasure of putting food in our bodies. We don't live for the pleasure of a long and leisurely retirement. We don't live for piles of cash and what it can bring to our bodies in this life. We don't live for the comforts of the body in this life. 
the dream houses, the biggest toys. Instead, Christians, true Christians, we are called to live leaning forward towards the hope of resurrection bodies. In this life, with these bodies, we're called to sacrifice for Jesus in countless ways. As Paul says in Romans 12, we are living sacrifices. We're called to daily lay down earthly pleasures and comforts, and when need be, to serve others with our bodies. In the words of Jesus, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it, says Jesus, for someone to gain the whole world, all that the world offers the body, and yet forfeit their own self? But if there's no resurrection of the body, no future hope of this for this body, then we are fools to willingly choose to miss out on the best that the world has to offer the body. We should pity, according to verse 19, the Christian who turns his back on the modern world and goes to a dangerous place to live his life as a missionary telling others about Jesus. Pity the fool who would do that. You should pity the Christian who chooses not to take an amazing job offer in another state because he believes God wants him to stay in a poor, broken town and be a light for Jesus, where there's very few Christians. Pity that fool. You should pity the Christian who chooses to give so much of his money away that he has just enough to live on each month. If you only have bodily pleasure and enjoyment in this life, then Christians that live as Jesus calls us are missing out. But if our hope is in a future resurrection body, then we're not missing out. A strong hope in the resurrection of the body defeats the fear of missing out. It pulls the rug out from the you only live once logic. You don't live only once as a Christian. YOLO, you only live once is not the cry of the Christian. We live again because Christ. When your body is done living once and you die, when Jesus appears, yet again you shall live. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is just highlight just a few final reasons that we, are, we ought to put our full hope in the resurrection. First, the resurrection of Jesus means that death can't steal our joy. Even as we're sitting here, every breath we take is one less breath that we have. And that doesn't have to be depressing. We are resurrection people. Jesus rose, and so we shall rise too. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Paul writes this in, his second, in another letter to the Corinthians. He says, We do not lose heart, though inwardly we are wasting away, yet now, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What is that glory? It's resurrection glory. It's re the restoration to the honor that Adam lost, taking care of God's new world on God's behalf. So, Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, this physical world, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen, the new world that's coming, it is eternal. And the resurrection means our pain in this life, as our bodies are wasting away, doesn't have to steal our joy. I don't know about you, but sometimes if I'm in pain, it really gets to me. Temptation is for your temper to get short and get snippy. Because of the resurrection, though, pain is not the end of our story. Our aching body will find healing one day. Just as Jesus was raised, we, too, will be raised. And because the resurrection is the light at the end of the tunnel for our aching bodies, as we grow older, or even if we're hurting as young, ones, young people, no suffering is pointless. It just increases the ache in our hearts to be raised. Suffering increases our discomfort with the way that things are and helps us long for the return of the king when he will make all things new. Resurrection also means that the passing of time doesn't have to steal our joy away. The older we get, the faster the years fly. I don't know if you feel that. I know I do. We don't have to live fearing the past time or mourning years gone by that are gone forever. We don't have to live with the fear of aging or our bodies breaking down and shutting off. We don't have to live our lives like time is running out and we just need to frantically cram as many amazing experiences as possible in this life because as I said before, you only live once. You're only young once. Enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy it while you can. Resurrection teaches us that after this life runs out, we have a resurrected eternity to fill an unending bucket list, as they say. So we don't buy the only live once thing. Jesus lives again, and so shall we. And the resurrection also means that we, we can know that our sins, the things that we have done wrong, have been forgiven by God. Jesus has paid for my sins with his sacrifice. And I know that God the Father, that it actually did something. That it's not just some guy saying you're forgiven. I know that it actually did something because the tomb is empty. God actually said yes to his sacrifice and accepted it. He wasn't just some wacko who died for a crazy dream. Jesus was God's man. He was the real deal. And because he says our sins are forgiven, we can rest. And finally, the resurrection means I don't have to be afraid of other people. I don't have to be afraid of very evil people or deceitful people. 
I don't have to be afraid of what people are thinking of me or saying about me. Fear of man doesn't need to control me. It doesn't need to steal my joy. What's the worst that someone could say about me that I don't already know? That I'm a sinner? That's true. And Jesus knows and he's forgiven me. And he's praying for me. He's rooting for me in heaven. And think about some of our greatest fears of people saying things that are about us that aren't true, that are wrong. How does the resurrection help with that? The resurrection is our vindication. It's our justification. When our bodies are raised, God will make all things right. He will show the world what the truth is. We will be seen for who we are, perfect in Christ. Forgiven in Christ. Blameless through Christ. The world may say that we're fools for following Christ. But on the, that day, we will be seen for who we are. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. And we will be transformed perfectly into his image on that day. That is the resurrection hope, the day of great reversal, when the weak will be seen as strong because they depended on Christ the most. When the poor, those who emptied themselves of the world's possessions for Jesus, will be seen as rich. When the last will be first, and when the dead will receive new life. And all through Jesus Christ. This is the Christian hope, the hope of resurrection. This is what's unique to Christianity, Christianity among all religions is the resurrection of the physical body, that these bones will live again. That is unique. Christianity is an empty grave religion because we serve a resurrection. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus, for the hope of resurrection. I pray that you would help the beauty of the resurrection hope that we have stir our hearts. And Lord, we want to say with the spirits even now with you in heaven, how long, O Lord, until you come again and speak and open every tomb. Lord, I ask that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, stir us up with great longing. For Jesus, in Jesus' name we pray.